Hi, and welcome back to Books in the Biz. We are now on part three of our episode with Mark Stoos. So how is AI going to affect employment? How's it going to change how we interact? Find out more on this episode. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you're saying there. Now, as as somebody who might be a future employee or looking at, you know, where is the work going to be in the future? Because I agree with you. AI is going to assist in a lot of ways and is going to eliminate certain jobs that that exist now. But at the same point, that's going to free up other opportunities somewhere else. And where do you see it from an AI perspective? Where do you see, you know, the labor force needing to grow or to adjust? I think, again, we can we can take a, a lesson from history here, recent history. Mm-hmm. Right. So at the end of World War Two, the average fighter aircraft could move at around 450 to 500 miles an hour. It had about five to seven gauges max on the dashboard and pilots were largely flying by the seat of their pants, right? It was a very pilot-centric, talent-centric idea. Um, And like total closing speed between two combatants, right, would have been roughly a thousand miles an hour. Then all of a sudden we broke the sound barrier. So we were now Mach and then very fast, two years later, Mach two, Mach three, right? So we're now moving at closing speeds in combat, right? With all the swirl and all this kind of stuff as well, right? that are approaching four to five times the speed of sound. There's, there was not a World War II pilot capable reaction time, right? Of making that happen unaided, right? And so you started to see more and more automation. You started to see a lot of stuff in these aircraft that we could kind of call proto AI right? A lot of decision aids, all this kind of stuff. Um, and it, re- it required a usually not, not many World War II era pilots, Korean War era pilots were able to make the transition mentally to this new thing, right? It was almost like a generational shift. Then what we're looking at now, probably from the next, so most experts uh, would say that we are currently at or very near the last generation of combat fighter that's manned, like on board, mm-hmm. right? So you're going to see fighter aircraft in the next 20 years that are have no human beings on board that are probably controlled by someone on the ground, not unlike a predator drone or something like that. But also, you know, you're not going to have one pilot sitting in a console back in Dover, Delaware, right? uh, Controlling one aircraft. You're going to have to have the ability to have one guy controlling a lot of aircraft, right? So there's going to have to be an AI interface to that. So are we going to be training pilots for naval fighter aircraft, U.S. Air Force fighter aircraft in the same way that we are training them today. Not a chance. So 
Does that mean that the skill set, the need goes away? No, it doesn't. Does that mean it changes substantially? Yeah, it probably does. Does that mean that you don't get personally shot at anymore? Yeah, that's that's uh, probably a real upside, you know? Um, so I think that that, you know, we saw this in, you know, to talk about briefly, you know, much more pedestrian kind of topic. I was present for a lot of the data center automation stuff, right? And what we saw there was a whole layer of activity in the data center that was automated. And all of a sudden, people didn't have to do that anymore. And there wasn't actually a lot of layoffs. There was just a big step up in terms of what you got to really work on and higher value stuff and all you're moving faster, doing cooler stuff, all this kind of stuff. And, um, and then now what we have is a situation 20 years later where a lot of people are graduating with IT degrees that literally have no frame of reference outside of that automation layer. So can they do those skills personally at all if they had to? No. Like there was a great article not too long ago that was interviewing this, you know, like the, the top IT management graduate from MIT. And they, they took him into a data center that was about to be powered up for the first time and said, so how do you do this? How do you power it up? How do you, how do you, you know, where's the go button, right? Didn't have a flipping clue, <laughs> right? Who, who had the knowledge? A guy who was 68 years old had that knowledge. So you're, so you're now talking about just some really interesting factors, right? That we're going to see that's going to, it's going to make it messy. It's going to, you know, I think that actually one of the good things about this is it's going to puncture the whole ageism thing, which is like out of all the prejudices that human beings have, which are all stupid. Okay. Ageism <laughs> is the most stupid. Okay. Because it's going to happen to all of us. Yes. Right. I mean, and you're also taking the person with the most experience and right eliminating them. That's right. And so, uh, I mean, so it's just, uh, it's just, so I do think that's going to be kind of like a, a, a beneficial piece of collateral um, on this. Um, we already see it right now. I mean, in sales and marketing and a whole bunch of areas and businesses right now, the, you know, a lot of people have never been through a time like this before their whole career is say less than 20 years and in some cases less than 15 in most cases less than 15 right so they literally have no frame of reference they have there's a whole bunch of SaaS sales teams that have no idea how to sell SaaS in a radically suboptimal environment <laughs> right and so this is, uh, you know, we're just gonna we're gonna have to make our way through this. But there's gonna be a lot of a lot of those kinds of rocks that have to be overturned, and we have to look underneath them, and the bugs are gonna be there, and all that kind of stuff. And we're just gonna have to deal with it. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Anytime there's these major shifts, 
is going to upend everything. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, and it won't, it won't be fun, but the, I, I will say this, the, I really believe this. I think there's tons of evidence for this statement. The more T-shaped you are as a professional, as a leader, as a follower, right? The more successful you're going to be, right? So the T, right, is this is your specialization right here. And that's pretty easily measured because it's basically how deep can you go? Mm-hmm. in a conversation about your specialization or some people have more than one, right? This is all about the context, right? This is about, Hey, you know what? Um, do I have the business acumen, the financial understanding of uh, the marketing understanding, the business understanding, the marketplace understanding to better understand my specialization and other people's and the interaction between them. And the, a great measure of how T-shaped you are is take your area of specialization. Can you discuss it with the rest of the business team using only business words? So no, none of your own specialist slang, no marketing terms, no IT terms, nothing. Can you discuss it really fluently and be easily understood only talking about it in business terms. Likewise, going the other way, can you take a business idea and talk about it with your specialist team members who may or may not be very T-shaped in a way that they understand it, right? Can you talk, can you essentially analogize, right? In using specialist language and describe what the business problem is. So this is this this nexus, this point of convergence is really where the action is going to be over the next, say, five to 10 years, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think the one of the challenges is that we have in the last 20 years, we have over rotated on specialist understanding. And so there's not a lot of T-shaped people out there, right? Um, and we also have, a, you know, among the professional business class, okay, we have a lot of people with horizontal understanding and very little appreciation for what it takes to actually operate one of these specializations. You see it in IT, you see it in data science, you see it in marketing, right? There's just like zero empathy, zero understanding for those, for the realities of those areas, right? And so that's going to, this is going to be something that's going to have to be worked out. And again, that's not a, I mean, AI can help that uh, in terms of crunching perspective. That's really the way that I prefer to look at it. Um but people are going to make those calls. AI is not going to make those calls. Do you think a lot of that's tied to the the speed of change that we're going through right now? Because I mean, if it's almost like the you know the circuit boards, there I forget what the the terminology because I'm not IT, but you know every year basically the number of connections doubles, and that's that's yeah. pretty much become law. It, it's almost like the world has moved so fast at this point. 
that we don't worry about the depth anymore. We're too worried about the the horizontal, as you put it. So there's, you know, it, there's always well, trying not, to learn the next I'm, thing, but not yeah. in depth on that thing. Uh, unless our whole area is vertical, is a specialization. Yeah, that's true. In which case we over rotate there, right? Yeah. This is actually incredibly human. We're now talking about stuff that actually is almost an entirely human dynamic, right? Um, the the tech. So let, let's maybe I'm trying to think of a way to talk about this that's very approachable. So everyone in this audience has probably heard of people process technology, right? It's a right. triangle, right? And most of the time, you know, you Google it, you know, you're going to see a bunch of infographic illustrations of it. And it's a it's almost always presented as an equilateral triangle. So all the sides are the same, right? The problem is, is that that's not even close to real, right? It's a profoundly scaling triangle, which means that one leg of the triangle is dramatically longer than the other two, and they the other two are different as well, right, from each other. So what is the long pole? What's the long leg of this triangle? It's people. It's not, I mean... Like one of the most explosive bodies of data, which I guess from one standpoint, I totally understand why they haven't wanted to release this because it would just be not fun. Okay. Mm -hmm. But one of the top analyst firms has 20 to 25 years worth of data on this that shows that when there is a product implementation failure, I mean, we're talking about software primarily. Um, the fault is very rarely, meaning like five five percent of the time, with the product. It is almost always because of people issues internally, right? Failure of commitment, failure of ability, right? Capability, capacity, all this kind of stuff, right? You're really seeing this, by the way, in spades, which is part of also what's going on in the AI conversation among C-suites, is there's an increasing gap between the power of new SaaS and the ability of teams to extract the value because they don't have the capability, the capacity, the learning, the whatever, right? Right. So this goes to your issue of speed of change. So this is a situation now where a lot of leaders are saying to themselves, this, I, number one, I, it's, I don't want to spend the money to upskill my guys, which personally I think is the wrong mm. position to take, but that's their position, <laughs> right? And, uh, and so I just want to replace them, as many of them as possible, with robots. Because the robots won't have a lot of those constraints and they can also work, you know, 24-7, 365, right. need sleep. They don't have spouses that want to go on vacation, all this kind of stuff, right? Right. So it is, it, you know, so there will be some of this, right? And we will over the next 10 years in in uh in environments 
work with literal robots and and let's call it soft robots, right? Bots. Um, and it and it will just be real, it, you know, at some level. But it, I don't think it's going to be possible to swing the pendulum profoundly anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Cool. Rich. I don't know how cool it is. <laughs> well, in my world, there's, there's always change. You're always, and of course I'm dealing with people all the time. So I see eventually there's going to be opportunity where, you know, certain issues exist. It's just a matter of who's going to find that opportunity, who's going to capitalize on it. And that's, yeah, that's what I'm always looking for is, you know, there's always going to be a need for people. Otherwise, if we're creating technology to eliminate all of us, what good have we done then? Because people well, need purpose. They need something that's you know, right. to and, give and life other, fulfillment. And, and the other thing that's going to really drive this is competition, right? I mean, look, nuclear power was an, was theoretical in the extreme until World War II, until you had Nazis and other fascists bent on global domination and bad stuff right mm-hmm. and um uh, and the and the biggest thing that accelerated the manhattan project was the thought that the germans might get the bomb first mm-hmm. right and so under that kind of scenario leaders understandably, if not rightfully, okay, uh, tend to become pretty damn expedient, right? Um, and so it was, I mean, this is, I think, one of the great lessons of Oppenheimer, the movie, right, um, is it dramatized it so well. Even among the scientists, it was a, this theoretical concept right up until the Trinity test at Los Alamos and everybody kind of went, holy shit. (laughs) Right. And, and at that point you couldn't uninvent, you couldn't undo, right. It had passed irretrievably from a purely scientific endeavor to one that now was almost purely political in terms of its control. So, I mean, I think that that, that is, uh, that's going to happen here, right? And the EU, China, California, many other governments are creating regulatory environments around AI that, I mean, one of the things we're going to find out is who really has the power. Do governments have the power today or do corporations have the power today? <clears throat> this, this actually happens in history with some regularity, approximately every 150 years, you see this kind of cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is exactly what Theodore Roosevelt dealt with when he was president. He had to break the back of a lot of the trusts and things like that in the United States to show who had the supremacy, um, as well as get rid of a lot of bad behavior and corruption and stuff like that. But we're now in a place where we're kind of you know, multinationals transcend individual nation authority. So how do you, how do you really deal with that? You know, 
And for a long time, there wasn't really any super compelling factor that was going to kind of drive this to some sort of existential answer. Um, but I, I think that AI is that for sure. I mean, I, 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 I just don't see it as being any other answer being possible. Hey, thanks for checking out part three of Books in the Biz interview with Mark Stoos from Proof Analytics. Be sure to catch up on part four coming soon.